This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 65 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond with each and every episode. I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com or... Check out any of her family's three restaurants here if you are in Orange County, Fable and Spirit in Newport Beach, Dublin 4, and Wine Works for Everyone, both over in Mission Viejo, Little Sister Restaurant, side by side. And if you go back a couple episodes, you can check her episode out on the podcast as well. And if you like that show, as a reminder, if you like any of the shows, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review wherever you're listening to it on free feeds. It helps other people discover it as well. You can go to thebestseats.com for more just like this. And don't forget that if you don't want to listen on free feeds, you can go to thebestseats.com forward slash Patreon or right to the source at patreon.com, inverse it, forward slash thebestseats, and sign up at a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. You get early ad-free access to every episode of the show, as well as early access to all the upcoming content, as well as the return of the past, which is going to be coming back in about, depending on when you're listening to this, a week or two's time if you're listening to this on Patreon the day it comes out. Then you've got about a two and a half week waiting time if you're listening to it on free feeds at the end of this week. Again, this releases on October 12th. If you're on free feeds later on, it'll be about two weeks after that. But yeah, that show is coming back. Very excited for that, but even more excited for episode 65. So let's jump into it. I'm sitting down today with Mike Flynn, founder and GM of OC, the brand new seafood restaurant, only a couple months old at the time of this recording that opened up up in Old Town Orange. Old Town Orange has always been established as a place of great opportunity to get a good drink and good food, and it is blowing up. In the past couple months, on top of the already established places like Haven and Buttermilk and everywhere else, you've got Boss Cat that just opened up there, and now you've got OC. And what is OC? Well, it is seafood for thought. Now, what does that mean? OC describes itself, as you'll hear from Mike Flynn on the show, as a fine casual restaurant. Now, that's an incredibly new concept to the restaurant industry as a whole. I would argue that maybe only two other spots in the kind of Orange County, greater Southern California area had really jumped on that trend beforehand, but we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about OC, so let's stay on topic. Um, it's really, really great seafood, elevated serving styles, elevated plating, elevated flavors, but designed in a way that there's a very low cost to entry, comparatively speaking. You, know, you generally think about a seafood dish, you're talking... You know, the joke I like to use, which I think you'll hear in the episode too, is whenever you go to a restaurant, what's the special? Oh, it's a Chilean sea bass over blah, blah, blah. That's pretty much always the case. And seafood generally can have a bit of a barrier to entry for people that aren't totally adjusted to it, or maybe not a fan of it, or maybe they don't know they're a fan of it. Either way, OC is designing itself to present its dishes and its kind of global context of flavors to customers in a very, very approachable fashion. Now, 
The timing of this recording could not be any more poignant given everything that's going on here in Southern California. We recorded this only a few days after the very, very tragic and unfortunate massive oil spill that took place off the coast right near Huntington Beach, um, affected Orange County beaches all over. Those are just reopening at the time of the recording of this kind of introduction and outro for the show. But we don't even know the long-term ramifications yet. You know, there's stories that are going on all over the world about other ecological incidents like this, whether they're boats, whether it's, you know, deteriorating boats, sunken ships, oil spills, you know, global warming and kind of climate change effects that are affecting reefs and things like that. The ocean is a pretty delicate thing. Now, again, that's a personal belief that I believe in. Maybe you feel different. That's your right. Fair enough. But the fact remains is that especially here in Southern California, the ocean is our neighbor. Therefore, it is a massive source of culinary income for us, of opportunity, of potential. And the way that we interact with it says a lot about us. OC is aiming to help educate diners on different seafoods, on different flavors, on different aspects of sustainability. What does that mean? What is farm fishing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you didn't come here to listen to me pontificate on it. You came here to listen to our guests. So let's jump right into our guest Episode 65 of the Best Seats Podcast of OC Restaurant in Old Town Orange, Mike Flynn. Enjoy it. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down today in the beautiful space that you guys have developed up here in Old Town Orange at OC. Uh, before we dive into the episode and kind of talk about the different things that I had in my mind and, and anything else we dive into, would you mind introducing yourself and giving a little bit of your background? I'd love to. Um, thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure to have you in. Um, my name is Mike Flynn. I'm the founder and owner of OC. Uh, we are a new seafood restaurant here in Old Town Orange. Uh, I grew up here in Orange County. Uh, I went to high school in Santa Ana, um, college in the Midwest, studied history in college, of all things. Uh, I remember coming home summer after sophomore year of college, just completely lost, frankly, with my life. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, and almost um, fortuitously, I, I took a job helping open a little seafood restaurant in Huntington Beach. This was summer of 2010, um, pretty much right off the bat, just completely fell in love with the industry. Uh, I've been doing this full time for over a decade now, uh, almost exclusively in seafood. The goal pretty much from day one was was uh, always to get back to Orange County and open a, uh, in particular a seafood restaurant here just to take care of my family and my friends. Uh, and this is that restaurant. We were speaking a little bit before I hit the record button. Um, you said college in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. You said you did some time in Chicago, mm -hmm. different cities around California. What was it about Orange County that brought you back to it? Um, in particular, I, I feel that, well, A, it's home. Uh, I just, I like living here. I like being close to the ocean. Um, Los Angeles is a great town, a lot of great places to eat. Um, but there's just, there's, there's an approachability and comfortability about Orange County that, that I've always loved. Um, in particular, in, in the restaurant scene, I, I've always felt that there is an opportunity to serve um, you know, a bit more elevated product. You look at restaurants, uh, you mentioned earlier as well, when we were chatting, restaurants like Broadway, like Mayfield, that are serving, you know, I think a very uh, progressive product here in Orange County. Um, I think there's an opportunity for more restaurants like that, and that's what we're trying to do here. So I, I kind of share the sentiment of getting bit by quote unquote, kind of the bug, um, really developing a passion for the industry. That's why I'm doing, you know, this now and, and whatever this will grow into in the future. What was it about the industry that grabbed you? And then to piggyback onto that, what was it about seafood? Uh, well, well, seafood, uh, it, it was almost happenstance. You know, the restaurant happened to be a seafood restaurant. Um, 
It was the product I was first in, uh, introduced to. My, my next restaurant job the following summer was a seafood restaurant. My next restaurant job the following summer after that was a seafood restaurant. And then it kind of snowballed from there. It's the product I know best. It's the product I like working with. Um, I like the way that my body feels when I eat seafood. It's a, it's a filling. It's an indulgent product. Uh, but it, it, it's, not a, it's not something that's going to make you take a nap afterwards. Um, I, I feel very healthy. Uh, and clean and eating seafood, and uh, we get that feedback a lot from our guests as well. Um, the the first question, what, what was what was it, what prompted the bug? Um, I don't know to be honest. Um, it's a very every day's different. I'm sure you've heard that before. Um, I love coming into work. You know, you're going to be here X number of hours, but over that period of time, you have no idea what's going to happen. You set up for service, and then just the day goes. Um, it's a very tangible way of making money. Um, I, I love putting a smile on, on our guests' faces uh, by serving great food and pouring wine. Um, it's a very real and tangible way of, of, of making a living. Um, it's also just, you know, I, I have to pinch myself every once in a while. Like I, I pay my bills by studying and learning about food, about wine. Um, it's just fun at the end of the day. So talk about the space that we're in right now as we're recording this uh, you know, pre-service, obviously kind of being the, the owner GM of this, you know, talk about this space. You guys are newer. Mm-hmm. When was the official open date? June 1st. So much newer. I mean, you guys are very, you know, very- Just no, over four no, months. Yeah, yeah, no pun intended, new kids on the block. Thank you. How did OC come to be and, and kind of how did you, how did this entire thing come together? Um, uh, like I said, you know, this has been a concept in some way bouncing around my brain for over a decade now. Uh, this was always the goal, and this restaurant was always going to be a seafood restaurant. I guess the bigger question was where it was going to be located and what the model was going to be. In, in building this restaurant, uh, we almost have you know, two missions, what we're trying to achieve here. One, we, we want to make seafood just, frankly, kind of fun. We want to make it approachable and kind of cool. Uh, you consider the classic seafood recipes in, in lobster rolls, cocktail sauce, crab cakes, chowder. Chowder's from Boston, crab cakes are from Maryland, um, cocktail sauces from New York, lobster rolls are from Maine. Those are recipes, they're classic recipes and they're good, no doubt, but those are recipes from really far away from here. Um, they're kind of old world, they're kind of stuffy, they're very East Coast, and for lack of a better phrase, they're, they're my grandmother's recipes. We wanted to serve a really fun, kind of playful uh, seafood cuisine that was reflective of time and place. Um, I think the cuisine that we're serving here is very reflective of the community in which we're located in. Um, and we just want to make it cool, make seafood, frankly, cool, kind of for young people. Yeah. So that was one. And then two, we wanted to make it affordable. You know, seafood can be so expensive sometimes. Um, and it, I don't think it necessarily needs to be. Um, so we want to serve a really elevated seafood product, but at a much more value-driven price point. And we're, uh, we're doing both of those things here right now. I, when speaking of value price points and sourcing and things like that, I've got to ask the obvious question that a lot of people are dealing with, you know, on the drive up here, cresting over the hill, you know, taking the 73 because I didn't want to be late because of the rain. Who knew what was going to happen? Obviously, it rained today. First kind of one of it really felt like a fall day. The ships are just lined out. You can just see them as far as the eye can see. There's obviously sourcing issues. There's product issues. How is it your day to day right now trying to keep those prices and those price points that you want with everything going on that restaurants are dealing with? Um, well, I think there's almost, there's almost two subjects to, to that question. There's the, I mean, regardless of the oil spill, how do you purchase seafood products in 2021, considering the COVID landscape and, and supply chains? Uh, we work really closely with our vendor partners in identifying the right products that we bring into this restaurant from a lot of different places in the world. 
Um, we have the luxury of have great relationships with them. And uh, to a certain extent, you know, we, we bring in local products when we can. You know, we've, we've served local halibut. We've served, uh, we've served local white sea bass since we've opened. Um, but, you know, my salmon's coming from Norway right now. Um, shrimp's from Mexico for the time being. Um, black cod from Morro Bay. Sole from Oregon. Yeah. Um, not everything necessarily is bottlenecking right there in, in the ports. And, and a lot of products are coming via planes right now. Um, I think the, the the second subject, though, is you know how will we be influenced specifically, you know, from the events of this past weekend with the spill, right here, immediately off our coastline. Um, we're not we're not seeing the effect specifically from that spill yet. I think that's good. There's going to be almost a little bit of a, de- a delayed effect. Um, I'm not buying any products from Huntington Beach right now or Laguna Beach. Um, there's not a lot of like truly local seafood products uh, from that region that we could put into this restaurant. Um, that being said, you know, like I mentioned, we, we do get some products from Mexico. And if when that, that uh, patch you know, moves south, is that going to influence fisheries immediately south of us? Yes, we'll probably see the effects of that in the next couple of weeks, if not a couple months. Yeah. And, we'll, and we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And we, again, we work closely with our vendor, uh, our vendor partners. It's tragic. Um, it, it's such a shame. Um, I don't know if you, if you saw online, but we actually rolled out, ironically, this... Um, month-long limited menu on October 1st in celebration of National Seafood Month. And the theme of the menu is to celebrate the bounty of local Southern California seafood. Yeah. That was on Friday. And then we heard the news, like, literally within 48 hours of this, this tragic spill right there. You know, the first order of business on Monday morning was, how do we continue serving this menu, you know, while also acknowledging the very real reality of what just happened? Um, we decided to to reach out to our good friends at the Surfrider Foundation, uh, we're donating 10% of the proceeds from this month-long limited menu uh, to their recovery efforts and helping clean up the community. Um, and obviously, again, working closely with our partners and identifying which products we can put on that menu, which right now um, all the products are coming from either Santa Barbara or Morro Bay, which yeah. remain completely unaffected. So we, we should mention for context for anybody listening, either way down the road or depending on when this releases, we're recording this on October 8th up at the restaurant. Um, like you said, just a couple of days ago, we had the massive oil spill right off the coast affecting Huntington Beach. I know Laguna, um, the lawsuits are already starting to come out against companies, et cetera. The menu that you're serving right now, this episode will be live, depending on when people hear it, whether they hear it early on Patreon or when it hits free feeds, uh, that is going all month long. Mm -hmm. What was the inspiration behind that? Because I should mention that you're not just serving seafood of great quality from all over at affordable prices. There's also kind of an ethos that you're working with this restaurant. There's kind of a mission with it. And can you kind of talk about the greater goal of the restaurant, especially kind of now that it's going to be playing into all the past events? I mean, now more than ever. Uh, we, we practice a philosophy here, what we call seafood for thought. Um, it's a pretty comprehensive philosophy in how we identify which products we bring into the restaurant uh, that meet our sourcing standards. Um, from, a, from a guest perspective, what we're really trying to do here is change the mindset of how we all consume seafood. You know, the, the subject of sustainability, responsibility in seafood, it's very top of mind, regardless of the oil spill. You know, it's, there was this big Netflix documentary a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, Seaspiracy. Yeah. Um, you can't, you know, spend any time reading about seafood, for, you know, for more than five or ten minutes before you come across this subject. Wild-caught fish, overfished fisheries, I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the place. Um, it's also, frankly, very, it's very, it's a very messy subject. Uh, I'll give you a great example. You know, when we first set out in building this concept and identifying which products to bring into the restaurant, uh, I sat down with one of our vendor partners, and um, he opened up a document. Every single seafood product that they bring into, the, into their facility, hundreds of products. And then across the top, 
uh, is every, you know, call it certifying agency, uh, sustainability certifying agency, um, and then reconciled which products are labeled as quote unquote sustainable by which agency. There wasn't a single product on that hun those hundreds of products that was consistently identified as sustainable by all of those organizations. Um, it's a very messy subject. There's a lot of different viewpoints, different arguments. You can make any sort of argument you know, with data supporting in any direction that you want. Um, what we're trying to do here is really challenge the guest in two ways. One, consider where your seafood comes from now more than ever, considering what just happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where your seafood uh, comes from really does matter. Noth nothing frustrates me more than walking into a seafood restaurant or a market and just seeing salmon on a menu. Like, where did it come from? What, what was the catch method? How long has it been out of the water? Um, so that's one. Ask questions. Feel confident asking questions. Um, if it just says salmon, maybe don't buy it. You know, buy your seafood at Santa Monica Seafood. Buy it at Gelson's. Buy it at Bristol Farms, where they actually take the time and, and do the right work. So that's one, and we're doing that here. Uh, two, we really want to encourage guests to become more comfortable um, trying farm-raised and aquaculture products maybe step outside their comfort zone a little bit. It is to a certain extent frustrating uh, for me to hear guests say that you know, I only eat wild-caught fish. Can you name another protein category in which a guest would say, you know, I only eat wild-caught cows? Like, it's not a thing, you know what I mean? Um, for, for a guest to say, I only eat wild-caught products, uh, it just, it seems almost unfair to me. Um, there, there is a, there's an old stigma almost associated with, with farm-raised uh, aquaculture products that it's, uh, you know, these farms are zombie tilapia swimming in a, in a swimming pool in their own feces. And that's just not the case anymore. This is actually a really advanced industry. It's very, to me, very much the future of, of seafood is, is a combined or balanced supply between uh, wild fisheries and high quality aquaculture products. So that's what we're trying to do here is challenge the guests to consider where your fish comes from and communicating provenance of product and then uh, a balanced supply between um, high-quality farm-raised products and, and wild, uh, wild products as well. Educating people on seafood, um, I, I think it's a very admirable task. I have a running joke that, you know, whenever any, anybody opens a restaurant, your average menu is going to have a couple of standard items that are required, right? There's always going to be, a, you know, a Caesar. There's always going to be Chilean sea bass as a special. The special tonight is always Chilean sea bass. I don't care what restaurant you walk <laughs> in. You walk into any average restaurant and ask the server what's the special, you're going to hear Chilean sea bass. How the education process, now again, you guys are still very much in the infancy, only open a couple of months. How has the response been from diners when you're presenting them with, maybe it's a fish they're unfamiliar with, maybe it's a product or a presentation or even a seasoning and style? Because I want to talk about your chef in just a few, but from your perspective as well, are you seeing people willing to kind of step beyond and, and kind of grow their horizons a little bit? Uh, we, we absolutely are. Uh, I'll give you a great example. We put uh, a product, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the fish, called barramundi mm -hmm. on the menu. I would say if you've consumed barramundi in the past 10 years of this country, it probably came from Australia, um, from a really high-quality farm in Australia. That same vendor uh, actually bought a, um, an old tilapia farm in Arizona in the middle of nowhere called uh, Desert Springs. Um, what an we, app name for a place in Arizona. Like, like yeah. literally middle of nowhere, um, completely flat, completely barren. We are serving Arizona Barramundi in the restaurant right now. We call it Desert Springs Barramundi. Some guests are familiar with Barramundi, others aren't. Um, that being said, it's, it's all about how you sell the product. How do you market the product? You know, guests will ask, what is Barramundi? Um, well, it's kind of somewhere in between a halibut and a sea bass. It's got that light, flaky uh, consistency or texture you'd see in, in a halibut, uh, but at the same time, almost the richest you find in a sea bass. It's kind of somewhere right in the middle. Oh, that sounds great. 
I sell more bear Mooney than I do salmon some days. It's great. That's awesome. That's yep. great to hear. Um, it, and, and I mentioned it just a moment ago. I do want to talk about Chef Yamaguchi and kind of what he brings to this restaurant. Unfortunately, we couldn't get him on the podcast today. I want to kind of hear from you. How did that relationship come about? How did you guys meet? And then the flavors that he brings are really fun mm-hmm. and surprising. I love your menu. I love everything about it. How did you guys come to be and, and how did he kind of come to helming this? We, we used to work together, actually. We met at Water Grill. Um, I worked at Water Grill in both uh, Los Angeles, downtown LA, and South Coast Plaza. David was at um, mostly in Santa Monica, a little bit South Coast in San Diego as well. Um, and I remember, I mean, this was five, six, seven years ago at this point, but um, we're, we're right about the same age. I remember thinking, wow, this guy can really cook his ass off, to yeah. be honest. Um, kind of went our separate ways for a couple of years, and then and then we reconnected during the development process of this restaurant. In terms of um, you know identifying the menu philosophy, we serve seafood complemented by the seasonality and diversity of California cooking. Really fun, kind of flavorful, um, diverse recipes that you know, East Asian food, Southeast Asian food, spicy Latin ingredients, and then seasonal produce, uh, which we have the, the privilege to do here in Southern California. Um, it took probably about two or three menu sessions for um, for us to kind of hammer that out um, in writing recipes together, get the flavor profiles right, figure out each other's palates. After, by that, that you know, third or fourth menu session, he just took the concept and ran with it. And at this point, it's like, we'll, we'll bounce around menu ideas here and there. But for the most part, you know, he goes in the kitchen, 20 minutes later comes back, and it's like the most incredible food on the plate. I trust him completely, and it's, it's been uh, such an incredible relationship. David is um, David's half Mexican, half Japanese. I think you can see that in the menu. A lot of guests, you know, like to ask, "Is is this the food of, of David's childhood?" And I don't want to speak for him. I'll, I'll let him speak for himself. Um, I don't think that necessarily the recipes that we're putting on the plate are, you know, the recipes from his from his childhood. Although you obviously can find a Japanese influence and a Mexican influence. Um, again, we, we want to serve seafood. I think that's representative of Southern California. We don't make crab cakes. We don't make cocktail sauce and lobster rolls because again, those recipes are from super far away from here. We want to serve food that I think is representative of this community, which is a very diverse community um, and seasonal produce. Yeah. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R. Dot com today. Once again, that's heirloompotager.com. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more 
so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code THEBESTSEATS15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Seafood's kind of a funny thing. You look around and it seems to be, and, and this is speaking very, very broadly and, and painting a very wide brush on this industry and, and this aspect. So I apologize for anybody that this may rub the wrong way, but kind of bear with me on it. It either seems like it's hyper-local or sourced and kind of influenced from all over. And I don't think there's anything wrong with either approaches to that because I think that there's right ways and wrong ways. Ultimately, it depends on how you treat the product, present the product, and serve the product. You guys, your menu has almost a longitude and a latitude to it. You kind of mentioned those Mexican and Japanese, you know, influences and flavors and, and you know, is it the dish from his childhood? You know, I, I don't want to speak to that either or make assumptions, but looking at the flavor profiles, there's a, there's a kind of a, I don't want to say global influence, but there's a lot of really great interweaving of flavors that you guys pull off on this menu. How often are you guys trying to develop new things or looking at new things and kind of R&Ding new dishes and, and kind of where are you drawing other inspirations from? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I would say, I mean, the R&D process is constant. Um, you know, whether we have a scheduled menu tasting or not, we, we change about a third to a quarter of our menu four times a year with the seasons. We'll do a, a new seasonal tuna pokey, uh, a new salad, a new entree plate, a new dessert, a new agua fresca four times a year, a new octopus recipe. Um, so we're always kind of just in the back of our minds, you know, playing around with different recipe ideas. And then we have those scheduled menu tastings, you know, a couple of weeks before the rollout. But in terms of, you know, where do we source inspirations from? Um, I, I don't think you have to look far. And we have the privilege of, of being surrounded by so many incredible communities, diverse communities here in Orange County in Los Angeles. You don't have to fill your passport book to, to really find great, you know, call it, for lack of a better word, global inspiration here in Southern California. Um, I, I think where, where food culture, particularly in Southern California, is headed right now, it's very much away from white glove, white tablecloth service. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that food culture, uh, particularly in Los Angeles right now, um, and Orange County starting to move that way, is, is finding reverence and paying respect to... Um, the ethnic cuisines, the the hyper local, hyper region, hyper regional ethnic cuisines of East LA, of South Central LA, um, of uh, you know East Orange County, you know Northeast Orange County, um, the flavors that you find in Garden Grove and Fullerton and Anaheim are a lot more exciting to me right now, at least for this restaurant, than anywhere in France or in Italy. Um, and I think you see that on, on um, in a lot of different trends throughout Southern California right now. 
I, I want to pull back to the restaurant itself um, and specifically get your intake on this, the way that you designed it and the way that it's set up um, from the service aspect. You are labeled as fine casual. This is a trend that I personally could see coming a mile away about probably three years ago. Um, obviously, you know, take that time frame with a grain of salt based on the, the pause button that 2020 kind of hit the world with. But the fast casual movement obviously kind of hit very hard and fast. Everybody uses, you know, Chipotle is the main example. I've had fast casual, you know, programs and, and groups on the show before and in episodes past. Fine casual was that logical next step, but it's a harder sell, I think, because of the fine aspect of it. Now, you know, we're recording this right now. Obviously, you know, pre-services, people can kind of hear in the background. This is a beautiful space. There's exciting wine sitting behind us. We just kind of talked about the menu. But from the service aspect, for people that may not have dined in it, because I, I still think they're fairly rare outside of maybe major cities in here, what, how would you define fine casual? And then also, what are some of the benefits that that's brought you? Specifically, because I know everybody's dealing with hiring issues and staffing issues and things like that. Do you feel that opening as a fine casual with everything going on has kind of made you be able to avoid some of those pitfalls? Um, yeah, so let, let me start with, with question one. What yeah, is sorry, fine I preloaded that one. That was a long I'm one. I'm going to have sorry. to write that down. <laughs> uh, what is fine casual? It is um, uh, our mission in, for the restaurant is we want to serve the most elevated, comfortable um, experience that we can to our guests while still protecting value that that really is the word for me in, in defining fine casual is, is value for the guests um i told you you know david and i used to work at watergirl it's a wonderful restaurant yeah uh, we want to serve if, if we can serve the same quality product that they do at the water grill uh, with a really fun kind of flavorful recipe set underneath but instead of that entree plate costing 46 dollars, it's 18. to me that's the definition of value if a guest guest perceives that plate and they say, wow, that should have costed a lot more money than it actually did. They will come back. I hope they will come back. They are coming back. That's value. Um, so to me, you know, fine casual is somewhere in between, you know, obviously, you know, the, the Chipotle's of the world and, and the water grills of the world. Um, in terms of what we're, we're selling here, um, I, frankly, there's not too many concepts, I think, in the country that are really pushing the envelope as far as we are uh, in terms of check average, uh, comfortability of experience and products on the plate. Um, it's, it's a pretty unique model, um, and we're having fun with it. I, I would say the biggest challenge in, in this restaurant right now is, is getting guests in the front door the first time, uh, walking them through the menu. This is how it all works. Um, once they try the food uh, and then they see how much it costs, they, you know, they check their credit card statement, like, wow, I got all that for that amount of money. I don't usually have a problem getting them to come back. Um, so that's, that's been the feedback that we've received. Um, so that's question number two, or number one. Remind me of question number two. From the logistics standpoint, everybody's dealing with staffing. Okay. People can't find, you know, bussers, servers, chefs, barbacks, et cetera. I'm, I can only assume that you haven't dealt with that to the same degree that, you know, your water grill or your major traditional restaurant currently is. Um, from, I guess, let me frame it this way and I'll, I'll reword it. Um, your new person, they're just walking in the door. Okay, maybe they heard about it on this show. Maybe they heard about it on a different one. Maybe they saw you guys featured in a magazine. They want to come try OC. They walk in the door. Walk me through the process from kind of opening that door to closing out my tab. How does a fine casual experience work? Um, so they'll receive a menu up front. Uh, if it's a first time guest, we will offer to give them a full menu tour. Here's how it all works. Uh, here are some dishes that we like to recommend. Um, 
first time guests, to be honest, sometimes they can feel a little bit overwhelmed. It's a bigger menu. Uh, and there's a lot of a lot of choice on there. To your point earlier, like there's a lot of different flavors in there, like that I want to try, that a lot of guests want to try. We invite guests uh, sometimes to take a seat at a table. We bring some waters over to you. We bring some silverware settings. Make some decisions. Let it marinate. Whenever you're ready to order, though, we're going to place the order up front. We're going to close out, uh, and we're going to course out the experience for you. Um, wine and beer will be brought to the table. Um, we'll send appetizers out. We'll send entrees. We'll send desserts out, just like a full service restaurant. Um, we also have a something we actually just rolled out about a week or two ago. We have an order and pay function at the table. Uh, and this was a, a request that came from so many of our guests. They try the ceviche. They try the super Tuscan plates. Wow, that was delicious. I want another glass of wine or I want dessert. This is a really comfy space. I don't want to leave yet. I also don't want to leave my table. I don't want to come back up and order again. Yeah. So we put this order and pay function at the table. You can order the entire menu from your phone at the table, create a tab, um, and we'll send it out to you right at the table. Um, that's how I would describe the, from, from a logistical operational perspective, that's the fine casual model. Um, again, this is a really comfortable space. Guests want to dine here. They want to spend time here. Uh, we, it's our job to find ways to keep them, uh, keep them happy and keep them here. So now having kind of walked through what the experience is like, I, I, I want to kind of retouch on that second question that I was proposing. Mm -hmm. You're not dealing with, you're, you're dealing with a standard service and at the same time you're not because of the way that you're kind of running food and interacting with guests, do you need, and, and first of all, it's not a huge space, which mm -hmm. I think is a benefit to a lot of people these days. You, you fit a lot of great seats in here mm -hmm. and really utilize the space in a great way. Do you have to staff up the same as a traditional restaurant? I mean, the, the, the staffing challenges we experience is, we experience the same as, as anybody else. Um, you know, I still need dishwashers the same as any other restaurant does. Yeah. I might not need six, but I need two or three. You put a job ad, uh, job ad up, you're competing with every other full service restaurant, no matter whether, you know, I've got 25 people on my payroll or 75. So in that regard, you know, we have to compete as well. Got it. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm proud to say that we don't have any staffing challenges today. I, I don't think that necessarily that has anything to do with the size of the staff or the service model necessarily, though. Um, in that I'm very proud of the culture that we've built here already, even in four months. I, I think that great culture in restaurants is the secret sauce of success. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really, that. it's a really undervalued and under talked about component to the restaurant business, particularly in California here. Um, it's, you know, we live in a very, you know, Instagram chefy food driven culture, frankly, like it's anyone can open a restaurant and serve cool food and take great pictures of it. The hardest part of the restaurant business to me is not writing good recipes and cool flavors. It's taking care of your people and, and executing those recipes and taking care of those who execute those recipes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we have a philosophy here. You know, you, you hear in restaurants a lot, you know, we're guests first, we're customer first, the customer's always right. You know, I, I teach my staff on day one. I think that's wrong. I think it's flawed. Um, we operate a team member first restaurant. What does that mean? Well, you know, as the leader of the restaurant, you know, David and I, we're here seven days a week, as many hours as we need to be to make this thing successful. Um, but that being said, I've only got two hands. Uh, I can only touch so many guests. I can't facilitate every single interaction in the restaurant. If I want to be guest first, if I want to ensure that every guest that comes in the door has a great experience and they come back, if that's the definition of guest first, it's in my best interest to take care of the individual who actually is interacting with the guest all day to make sure that they have a comfortable work environment, they have a great schedule, they're making good money, they're happy. Um, if I can do all of those things, they're gonna be, well, again, happy to come to work, they're gonna take great care of the guests and the guest is gonna come back. So, so we are a guest first restaurant, but we are guest first by being team member first. 
Uh, and for that reason, we don't have a lot of turnover, to be honest. We, we, have, we have a great culture here. We have really nice people that work here. Good for you. That's Thanks. awesome. Glad to hear that. Um, when people do come in and they kind of have that experience, you know, are you seeing returning customers? You're seeing, yeah. I mean, again, downtown Orange, this is a vibrant culinary community. I mean, you've got some major players up here. I mean, you know, you've got Haven right across the street, which I constantly argue is one of the most underrated kitchen programs in Orange County. Agreed. Boss Cat just opened up. I mean, Buttermilk with Ryan Adams. I mean, you're, you're among some good company. What's the community response just from kind of Orange here? Because it's such a dining heavy town. It, it, it could not be more positive. It's been so overwhelming. I mean, I've been working in restaurants for, for a long time and I, I've, I've never seen a rate of return um, like, what, uh, like what we're seeing at this restaurant. We have guests that come two, three, four times a week. I have guests that come every single day, sometimes even for lunch and for dinner. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the value component and that you can have a great lunch or a great dinner. And again, you check that credit card statement. It's like that actually wasn't that expensive for what we received. Yeah. Um, also, I think we have the luxury in all those restaurants that, that you just mentioned, wonderful programs, uh, great restaurants, great chefs, uh, but we don't have a lot of direct competition in terms of the product that we're selling. Yeah. Um, that's one of the most consistent pieces of feedback that we get is that this is very different than, than anything else in this neighborhood. Um, it's also why I'm not particularly worried. I mean, there are more restaurants coming into Old Town Orange. All those restaurants that, that you just mentioned, there's more on the way, uh, a lot more on the way. This is, this is be very much becoming a dining destination in, in Orange County, um, in Central Orange County. Um, but, but the product that we're serving at our price point in this style of space, um, no one's really doing this right now. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, what brought you to Old Town Orange? Great question. Um, first and most importantly, you know, we really wanted to find a unique space with history, with character, something that we could build a community around. You know, for so much of Orange County, I think, unfortunately, is just cookie cutter strip mall. Uh, after one after another um you know at some point i think restaurants can, you can scale into those developments but you know we wanted to find a really unique space that that, that spoke to kiss that uh, history with character that's something we can build a community around this is a 111 year old building the first day that i walked in here in 2019 and within five minutes i was like this is it i want to make this happen um, so that was one reason. Um, Old Town Orange is very much a community gathering place for a number of different generations. Um, we really wanted to tap into the energy of that um, of that notion that you know people gather uh, in the plaza in the circle. We want to be a part of that. Um, and then you know, there's no seafood competitors really out here. I mean, there are some seafood restaurants, but you know the argument was you shouldn't have to drive to Newport Beach or to Huntington Beach or Laguna Beach for a great piece of fish. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to be your go-to neighborhood restaurant for a really nice piece of fish. Get in your car or, or ride your bike for five minutes as opposed to driving, you know, 20 minutes down the 55. Yeah, I, I should say, because I know that there are some people that listen out of state or they listen in LA or San Diego. If you haven't been here, there's really very few places like this in Orange County. I mean, it almost feels like you've stepped back in time in a way. 100%. And I have to ask, when you got into the building, you mentioned, you know, just how old it is. Um, I, I listened to a great podcast with some very, very well-known chefs uh, a couple of years ago, and they were lamenting the fact that in cooking school, it shouldn't just be learning sauces and knife techniques. It should also be, there should be a course in electricity and plumbing <laughs> and everything else. I mean, from, you know, you mentioned- HR, coming in, IT, all Exactly. It, yeah. You mentioned coming in on the day-to-day. You never know what you're going to face. With a hundred-year-old building, which is a rare 
thing in Orange County. I mean, a 10-year-old building is considered ancient in Orange County, so 100 years old. I mean, are there any challenges in the day-to-day aspect with that? When you are dealing with something with so much character, there's going to be some things that come with it. That's a good question. On the on a day-to-day basis, do we face challenges from being in this older space? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, from a you know an opening perspective, there's a lot more you know permits and regulations that you have to adhere to. Um, you can't touch this. You can't touch this. Yeah, you want to maintain the integrity. Of exactly, it. And, yeah. and not that not that I want to change anything about this space. And you know, the mission was. Uh, was almost twofold. I, I want the guests to walk in and feel again that that history, that character. I want you to know you're in Old Town Orange when you walk into the restaurant. But at the same time, considering the food that we're serving um, and the beverage program, I want it to feel very modern as well. I want mm-hmm. I want to drive a really sharp contrast between old and new uh, in the design, and that that was done intentionally. Um, when I signed the lease, my, my real estate broker, he's like, told me, he's like, Mike, if you can open an Old Town Orange, you can open anywhere. And he was 100% right. <laughs> I, w- I would say, you know, uh, the signage package out front being a great example. It took like six months just to get our signage, you know, submitted, uh, approved, and, and, and hung. Um, there's just, just so many hoops, and as there should be. You know, this, to your point, there is nothing else like this in Southern California. I believe that. Um, and there, there's a really strong team, you know, within the city that works to preserve that. Um, you shouldn't be able to just slap anything up that you want. Otherwise, you lose that that character. Um, but yes, I would say more challenges that we face from, from a pre-opening perspective. There's just a lot of hoops you've got to jump through to make sure that you, you do adhere to all those regulations. Uh, you mentioned it really briefly, and I did want to touch on it as much as I wanted to, this episode to be about kind of your story in the restaurant and the food. Um, you did mention the beverage program. Mm-hmm. You guys have a very exciting, for me personally, it's a very exciting group of wines. I mm-hmm. mean, we're, again, the table we're recording out in the front, they're sitting right behind us. I've already seen that lo-fi cab franc and a couple other yeah, favorites sitting back there. When you're not, you know, you're not just presenting new flavors on the plate. For a lot of those people, a lot of those wines can be new flavors in the yes. glass too. Yes. What was the drive behind doing that? And then how's that response been? Um, it's been incredible. The I wanted the wine program to match the philosophy of the food program. I want there to be consistency between the two. Um, again, we talked about seafood being kind of stuffy, kind of old world. We want to serve a really relevant, contemporary, fun seafood product. And I want the wine program to be perceived in the exact same way. Wine can be a very intimidating subject. Um, it's confusing. It can be very expensive. We wanted to take the pretension, the intimidation, and the cost out of wine and just make wine fun. Um, because it is a very exciting product. I, I'm a, I love wine. I'm obsessed with it. Um, how do you do that? Um, the way that we have organized the program, it was done very intentionally. We don't sell wines necessarily by varietal or by region. You know, most 99% of wine programs are always organized the same way. Uh, sparkling, rosé, white, then red. Yeah. Organized either by varietal or by region. Most guests, you know, apart from Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Grigio, they don't know a lot outside of that, which is it's totally fine. Um, we wanted to serve wines that were a little bit more adventurous than that. Um, so we've organized uh, our wines through kind of fun, playful descriptors. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, every wine by the glass program, you have to have um, a Sauvignon Blanc, right? It's it's great cocktail wine. It's delicious. Um, and it can be expressed in a, you know, a lot of different ways around the world. Um, our Sauvignon Blanc style wine is Albarino. Currently, yeah. it's, a, it's a single vineyard Albarino from Monterey County. Um, some guests know what Albarino is. Other guests don't. Beautiful um, kind of Spanish-style white. Exactly. Dry, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Great minerality to the wine, high acid, great with oysters. Um, but instead of ordering a glass of Albarino, uh, on the menu it's described as sort of like Savi B, right? <laughs> Which it kind of is. You know, it's yeah. a Spanish-style-esque 
Sauvignon Blanc. Um, nothing makes me happier when, when a guest comes up and says, can I have a glass of sort of like Savi B? Makes me so happy. Our rosé is this obscure um, rosé blend from Portugal, from Vino Verde. Um, some guests have heard of Vino Verde, maybe uh, in the high acid white varietal. Um, we call it pool wine. I like drinking rosé by the pool. Guess, can I have a half bottle of pool wine, please? It, it makes me laugh, to be honest. It's awesome. I, I'm smiling right now. It's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Um, so in that regard, it, it is working. When you take the pretension, the, pretension, the intimidation out of it, um, uh, we, we work really closely with our order takers, our ambassadors up front, in, in training them not just on, on, the, on selling the wines, but selling the program. Um, what, asking the guests, prompting the guests, what do you like to drink? Do you want to drink something close to Pinot Grigio, to Sauvignon Blanc, and then, or Chardonnay? And then kind of taking it from there. Um, maybe I'll pour you one of these two wines, see which one you like better. Uh, if you like Pinot Grigio, you're going to love uh, Biancale from Italy. No one knows what Biancale is. I, I just learned what it was two weeks ago. It's my new favorite white wine. Yeah, um, delicious. If you, like, if you like Pinot Grigio, you're going to like that. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You guys obviously got to finish prepping for service and, and kind of business as usual because obviously, and whatever else the day is going to bring. Um, if people wanted to reach out and, and learn more about the restaurant and kind of about you and social media, things like that, where can people go to do that? Uh, great question. If you go to our website, edoc.com, there's a little button on the bottom right corner. It says drop a line that feeds directly into my email inbox. Um, love to chat with anyone that would love to reach out. I love that. As an owner, it's ambitious getting your actual email right there. That's yeah. awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so, so much for the time, man. This has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, like you said, that, that first key is just getting people in the door. And then I think that your, your program and your food and wines and everything else will do the rest. So for anybody listening who hasn't been, please come because if you haven't, you're missing out. Thanks, Crawford. Thank you, man. It. I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to Mike Flynn, founder and GM of OC, for taking the time to sit down today. Thank you to everybody that supports every single month with your very generous subscription donations over on patreon.com forward slash the best seats. Remember that you can do that and you'll get ad free early listening several days before the public to each and every show. You'll also get all the back catalog of ad-free listening to each and every show. So if you don't want to go on free feeds, you don't want to hear the advertisements or the kind of intros type of things, you'll get a lot of that cut out by going over to Patreon, as well as all the early access to all the new content that is coming and coming back, including the past. Very excited about all this. But regardless, even if you're lobster backing and you're listening on free feeds, thank you so much. You all make all this possible. The sponsors for the show, everybody involved. Thank you again to Mike for checking out the time and, and kind of opening up his space and, you know, looking into the show as an, an avenue to talk on. And it means a lot and it means a lot to have his support. Definitely, definitely, depending on when you're listening to this, go out, support OC. If you can do it within the month of October, again, they're giving back to Surfrider Foundation. If you live in Orange County, you've probably heard of them. You know what a big and important deal they are to sustaining sea life. If you're listening to it after October, go anyway. The food is phenomenal. You're going to have a good time. I guarantee it. I'll see you next episode. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash The Best Seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Pizza Guy 92, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Jay Baker, Sarah Hines. 
Thank you for your support.